I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi everyone, welcome to the second edition of our World Cup, Rugby World Cup specials, a series of pods throughout this Rugby World Cup with Nathan Johns, Irish Times journalist. So big hello and welcome and thank you to Nathan for joining me again. We're at the moment, reviewing the second weekend of games, lots has happened in, across both rounds. There are so many things to pick out, so many things to discuss. One thing close to my heart has been, of course, the Welsh rugby performance, and we'll come on to that. But Nathan and most of our listeners have been, have been glued to the Irish team's performance. And I wanted to ask him generally about what he thought about Ireland so far. Have we learned anything or is it far too early? One particular focus of mine has been in Nathan's newspaper, the Irish Times, there have been two pieces about the second choice fly half, the number 10 position. Gordon Darcy, the ex-Ireland and Lions centre, partner with Brian O'Driscoll for many years, formidable player, plugged for Jack Crowley as replacement or number two to Johnny Sexton, whereas the Irish Times main rugby writer, Jerry Thornley, wrote a piece uh, earlier this week uh, talking about Ross Byrne, who, of course, has played with Sexton for many years at Leinster. And I guess from the tone and tenor of Thornley's piece that he would plump for for Ross Byrne as Johnny's number two. But Sexton came off at, at what, half-time, was it? Or yeah. up shortly afterwards? That apparently was a decision by Farrell taken at that moment. Byrne had no advance notice of that. Were you surprised by that? And what did you think of Burns' performance during the second half? And more generally, your thoughts on Ireland so far? No, not surprised at all, purely because of what's happening next week, for obvious reasons, with the Springboks looming um, next Saturday night in Paris. And equally, Ireland had a bonus point secured by that point. 
Burn or the attack was was ticking along nicely. You would back Burn to come in and and still keep things moving and not cause too much disruption. Like you said, purely just because he's he's done it lots of times now as 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 Sexton's understudy, and you know you just need one rib tickler from a Tongan back row, and Sexton's done for the tournament, which is the case in any in any game really, but especially against some of the Pacific Island nations with, with the physicality they bring. So it wasn't surprised at all. I agree with you. I don't think it was a necessarily a premeditated decision. I think it was something that Fowl might have had in the back of his head that all right, if we're up 20, 30 points at half time, we can do it. We can get away with it. But it's probably something he didn't communicate to the players. Just let them go out and play. Um, and I thought Ross Byrne played well. I thought Ireland's attack was a little bit disjointed to start the second half. Once Byrne started, you know, taking the ball to the line, that famous cliche, and started taking out Tongan defenders by bunning at them instead of sitting deep and inviting them back on, he took some defenders out and opened up some holes for the likes of of Bundiaki to to smash his way through. Um, in in that second half, and, and Ireland's attack still still looked pretty good. So yeah, I thought he played well. I thought in general there was a lot of things from Ireland actually that in many ways made it. Not a worse performance than the Romania game, but made it a very different performance with, with different flaws, which are the types of flaws that would concern you for a South African game. Um, Such as? The, well, the, Tonga, I mean, it seems strange to say because Ireland scored 59 points, but Tonga more or less did a job on Ireland's breakdown, especially that first 20 minutes. Um, of all people, their scrum half was a nuisance getting in over the ball and disrupting. Augustine Pulu, an ex, an ex All Black, one of those famous switchovers that we've, we've talked about in, in recent weeks. Um, and if you lose that much breakdown ball against the Springboks, they'll kick you down the park, more you to 10 yards back, and then try and eke out more penalties and, and go 3-6-9, whereas Tonga didn't have the, the, the discipline necessarily to, to do that. Um, but that said, it's, it's kind of a hallmark of this Irish side. They make far more mistakes in matches than in the Joe Schmidt era. They turn over far way more ball they lose. The breakdown work actually is normally pretty good. Paul O'Connell is in charge of that. And he'll be furious because week one, the line out was useless. Week two, breakdown was below average. Two things in his remit. And we all know, you know how much of an emotional man is, is, is Paul O'Connell. But with that in mind, I just think you, get, like, you can get away with that against Tonga. You can't get away with that against, against South Africa. And the reason why I can get away with it is because they just create so many opportunities. They get so much ball inside the opposition's 22. They have so many set plays up there their sleeve they have so many attacking options inside balls one-off runners uh, out, the, out the back or even just guys busting through the front door like Bundyaki did so well that they create so many opportunities that they almost don't care how many mistakes they make which is a completely different philosophical shift and under this coaching ticket Andy Farrell just says express yourselves you're good enough you back your attacking game the problem is you will eventually come up against against the defence who can shut that down and you don't get enough opportunities to make up for the mistakes. Ireland got more than enough opportunities against Tonga to make up for the mistakes. It's a question of is their attack good enough to get that many opportunities against South Africa because South Africa will force plenty of mistakes, especially at the breakdown. So what do you think for that game? I, I think Ireland have to be confident. South Africa struggled with their attack a little bit when they last played in November. Now you can make counterpoints to that. That was... November internationals at the end of this of a long Southern Hemisphere season. South Africa's a little bit fresher now. Coaches peak for this World Cup, all that type of stuff. I don't think Ireland fears that the South Africa's physicality in the way that teams have in the past. We've spoken before about Ireland are much better at dealing with those larger physical teams, and even whatever at dealing with it, the size gap just isn't as big as it used to be. Um, and I think 
their attack is working on enough occasions. I mean, they scored 140 points and scored 20 tries in two games. Yes, against one poor and one average side. But at the end of the day, most rugby players defend in the same way in terms of bodies attract defenders. And if you've got enough bodies and moving parts that are all moving at the same time, you take guys out of the line. And Ireland are doing that, um, irrespective of all the things that make other sides better. And I think once you're doing that, it doesn't matter how good a defence you are, you've got a man in front of you, you think he's getting the ball and he doesn't get the ball and you jump out of the line, a hole is opens up and Ireland can do that against anybody. And if that ticks, they should be, they should, and they don't give South Africa needless penalties to get their line out more game going, they should be fine. The only concern is the scrum, a couple of Tongan penalties at that, at that at the scrum. And Andrew Porter is someone who a lot of people talk about as a scrummager and that's probably the weakest part of his game. So South Africa will look at that for sure. But if Ireland can, sort out their attacking breakdown work, cut down their turnovers on the floor from the Tonga game in half and still get that attacking game going, they, they should be fine. And um, if they don't, South Africa will squeeze the life out of them for an hour and then use their creative out half when Ireland are struggling to, to open them up and get those cross kicks in and, and, and cause problems. Okay. Do you think that we have learned anything substantively different from uh, what we talked about the first time, about 10 days ago, when we had our initial conversation about the World Cup, we talked about the big four, France, New Zealand, Ireland and South Africa and their relative standings. Do you think anything has been learned about any of those four teams that would render any of our conclusions or analysis different or is it just way too early? No, I think we saw from the France-New Zealand game that opened the tournament, France's type five is probably not good enough to win them a World Cup at this tournament um, just based on everyone else that's out there I mean sorry I said France I meant to say New Zealand sorry New Zealand's tight five is is not good enough um, France kind of obliterated them at the set piece and used that to finally pull away in that second half after after New Zealand did have a few nice attacking flourishes funnily enough their two tries from set play um, New Zealand won at the beginning of each half had Joe Schmidt's fingerprints all over them we all remember him from Ireland how he came up with these first phase line-out moves that cut teams open. France did that. New Zealand did that twice. That, and he's obviously in their on their coaching tickets. So an interesting one, especially if, if Ireland do get to face New Zealand in a, in a quarterfinal. And Joe Schmidt is, is on the opposite side. Um, so yeah, we, we said that before. New Zealand's forward's probably not quite good enough to, to get them to, to a final in, the, in this competition. France struggled with their second team outfit in their second game against Uruguay. Don't necessarily look too much into that. We did say France will struggle without two or three of those guys who were injured. They didn't struggle, but they weren't as good as they could be without those guys. Ireland, look. Can I interrupt you there? I thought yeah. that right up until um, a crucial moment in the second half uh, in that game against Uruguay, France did struggle a bit. And I know it was a kind of a second string side, but even so, it was Uruguay. And what they struggled with was that Uruguay essentially, in, in my language, my very primitive language for rugby, is that Uruguay played sevens rugby. They just ran everything and they ran everything because it was quite clear that they couldn't kick or at least their kicking quality was 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 not what it could or should be in a game of, of that nature best exemplified by that moment in the second half where it, it went pear-shaped for Uruguay because right up until this moment Uruguay were actually in it just about um, they were never ahead I don't think but they were they were keeping it close when their fly half attempted a clearance kick that, that hit one of his own players in the back. And that bounced kindly for France then to score the try that meant that they went on to win the game reasonably comfortably after that point. So it was a poor kick that 
opened the game up for France. But until that point, that French team did not like being run at in the way that Uruguay did because they ran literally everything. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I guess, you know, we talk about the prevalence of kicking in, in modern international rugby and if you kick more and kick well, you'll win the game is what all the statistics tell you. So it's an interesting one. Um, Uruguay maybe just, like you said, maybe they just didn't back their, their attacking kicking game enough or, or they just backed their skill set enough. And like you said, it did stress France and potentially there's something in that. Um, you you do set up with you know two men in the backfield and so or two or sometimes three men in the backfield and twelve or, or thirteen men in, in the in the front line and if those guys are being stressed all the time and you've got two or three guys in the backfield that are lying idle perhaps there's a you know the holes are going to open up and maybe that is what happened and, and France France kicked themselves a lot and I think they expect the better sides towards the back end of the tournament your Ireland's and your South Africa's to equally kick a lot so maybe that is how they're defensively set up and they necessarily weren't necessarily expecting such a game play. it's an interesting point the kicking one I suspect from a French point of view you know we've spoken before about how the teams that do well kick a lot and kick well purely purely to avoid the situation that Uruguay had which is when you have the ball and you make a mistake you know just it's actually really simple by a process of elimination if that happens in the opposition half you're less likely to give away a score whereas or Uruguay make a mistake, kick into their own man in their own half, France score. That, 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 that's purely what that is. But you suspect because you kick a lot and kick well, all the stats say you're going to win, France are set up to deal with that. They probably would have had more men in the backfield than they needed to deal with a kicking game that they thought they may or may not have thought was coming. Maybe they did their analysis on Uruguay and knew that they were going to run the legs off them. I don't know. But maybe they were set up more to play against better teams towards the back end of the tournament that you would expect to, to kick a lot more like your Ireland's and like your South Africa's and um, potentially, but the other, the flip side of that is, you know, it's brilliant to see Uruguay try something unconventional go, we're a much less skilled, less powerful side. We've got to do something completely different to try and cause an upset and ruffle a few feathers. And they did. And like you said, for a while it worked. So that was quite refreshing, but equally, yeah, I think, you know, second string France side, a lot of those guys, we Ireland, if they play France later on in the tournament, won't necessarily see barring injury. So if the takeaway from that is if France suffer five or six injuries, they're going to struggle against a better side who might might have more of their first choice players available. I don't think that's a ground-breaking revelation. So yeah, I think nobody plays, what is it? You play seven games if you play in a World Cup final. Nobody plays really, really good rugby for seven games in a row, especially in a knockout tournament. If France's dud came against a side that had slightly different tactics than they were expecting, with their second slash third string side and they got that out of the way now I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned from their point of view for me the, the that was one of the games of the tournament so far it was it was just really really enjoyable rugby to see Uruguay having a go against as I say this slightly second string French side one of the oh, probably two of the the worst games have involved England in my view they, they their own supporters booed them off the park at their most recent game for kicking and it's that kicking game again point uh, you've made the argument i think very well several times that kicking is an incredibly important part of the game and winning teams do kick a lot joe marler an english big forward uh, in the papers this this weekend just gone has been saying that the 2003 world cup winning side uh, kicked a lot and it was johnny wilkinson's kicks that actually won them the world cup point scoring kicks and he's talking about England winning ugly and saying that their chances are very good because they know how to win ugly and nothing else matters apart from winning and what do we care if we're winning ugly. 
But it's not just about a good team winning in an ugly way. They are a very poor side, aren't they? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, it's it's winning. We know how to win ugly, but do they? I mean, they played, they've, they've lost a lot of games recently. You know, they got spanked by Ireland in the warm-ups. They lost to Fiji in the warm-ups. They lost to... Wales. Scott, they lost to Wales. They lost it in the Six Nations. They lost to Ireland, France, and Scotland, I believe, if I remember correctly. So it's not like they're winning ugly against good sides and being competitive. They beat an Argentina side that arguably is a better side on paper and, and had one of the worst performances from a Tier 1 nation, I think, in World Cup history in that first game. They just completely lost to one of themselves, and which is shocking considering they're coached by Michael Cheka and Felipe Contopomi two very familiar faces to, to Leinster and Irish rugby and guys who know what they're doing. So that was an incredibly poor performance from Argentina. And then they beat a Japan side that is nowhere near the calibre of the 2015 side that beat South Africa or the 2019 side that beat Ireland and, and Scotland and got their way to a, to a quarter final where they, you know, for an hour, they caused South Africa a few problems, of course, went on to win it. So to say, yeah, we know how to win ugly, I think it's a bit disingenuous because is that going to win them a quarterfinal against whoever it is? I think it you know, could be someone like Fiji or considering Fiji are now also kicking a lot and kicking really well, but are still scoring points and, and beat a decent enough side in Australia. Um, I, I don't buy it. Um, I'm not someone, again, like we just spoke about teams that kick a lot and kick well, win games. I'm not somebody who sits there at the TV and throws the remote at the TV when I see sides kick the ball all the time. I understand that the problem is the quality of the kicking and the extent and for an hour of that game England didn't trust their attack or when they did it it was poor there was mistakes balls from forwards to backs on route that the back went to ground all that type of stuff happened even to England and the other sides France and Ireland kick a lot they kick on their own terms so they kick to win back a lot of ball they the kicking game is more varied with more grubbers more chips not just nine box kicking it all the time which is what England do a lot and George Ford as well and equally, nobody complains about Ireland and France kicking because when they turn it on, when they see the attack is on, when they sense something is open, they go for it. They side through brilliantly. But in Ireland's case, they've got lots of set plays for different sides that tear sides attack apart when they are attacking in the right areas. And because that happens, nobody complains how they got to that point in the, on the field. They just remember the brilliant move, the brilliant offload, brilliant piece of flair. It's more like what you see from France that led to a score. England aren't doing that. They tried to do a little bit in the last 20 minutes against a, a Japan side that had a very poor bench. And to an extent, it worked. The The cross kick from George Ford to Freddie Stewart was a brilliant piece of attacking play. 
which shows that they have got it in the locker, but they've only shown it against a side that is not as good as it has been in the past, is fairly average defensively, doesn't have a very good bench and was completely out of it after an hour, um, just in terms of trying to stay in that game. They didn't do it against an Argentina side that put in one of their worst performances uh, of, of of any World Cup. So that's fine. You know how to win ugly. George Ford can slot back in the, in the, in the pocket and knock over drop goals. But if you're playing an Australian side that has scored three tries against you in the first half, what are you going to do? This England side looks like it's, it's really well constructed to conserve a lead. They get a bit of luck early. They get out to 10 points ahead. Good luck. You're going to struggle to break them down because they will just make sure you play all the rugby in your half. But equally, it doesn't. it's not a side that's set up to build a lead barring lots of penalties or a little bit of luck. And it's definitely not a side that's going to chase down a lead against a good side. They're just not set up that way. They haven't scored a lot of tries for a long period of time, have they? They're sort of averaging one per game for the last large number of games, I think. Their, their attack their attack is, 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 is poor. It's, it really is. For a team, you know, a country that has won the World Cup, has gotten to a couple of World Cup finals, I think, had such rugby resources, the old cliched question of how can England be so poor given the resource base, the player base that it's got relative to other countries that are much smaller, much less well-resourced. We could do a whole podcast on where English rugby has gone wrong. But is one common denominator looking at the Australian performance recently, performances recently, is one common denominator Eddie Jones? Well, I mean, it's hard to argue otherwise. I think the issue always goes beyond one man at the top. I mean, English rugby as a whole is in disarray. I mean, they've lost two professional clubs they don't have any joined up thinking. You look at the better sides at this tournament, Ireland, France, you know, Ireland is completely aligned across the RFU in the four provinces to the point where players get moved and people get very annoyed at that. France have finally got their, their clubs on board to, to being clubs that supply the national side rather than individual entities of their own right in the last five or four years. And they've been planning for this World Cup for so long. England just doesn't have that. The Premiership just doesn't have any of that joined up thinking any of that coordinated planning there's no one at the top that's trying to pull them on well they're trying but they're they're, they're failing um and every club is just focused on survival for good reason because two of their clubs couldn't survive and you know there there are rumors that they're more more on the way out um or more at least very close to the precipice so that's got a big part of it jones i think the common denominator between jones and england is both changed their coach a year out from the tournament and the reason why england aren't playing free any free-flowing attacking rugby is because you just can't build a world-class attack in that way. That way, remember Ireland in the first year or two of Andy Farrell's era were disjointed, and it was only in the last the Six Nations twenty twenty two really when everyone started going, "Oh, hang on, there's something going on here." The the attack is flowing. The guys are guys are clicking together, and that was with a team that had eleven, twelve players playing week in week out of the same province, let alone at the same country, and it took them that long to join up these things up. So. England are being unambitious because of that. Eddie Jones, Australia, I, it's harder to say. I mean, he's he's obviously looked at what's going on in Australia and said he's, he's picked young players who will do what he says because a lot of the guys who he left out were older, more experienced players, the likes of Quade Cooper, who would challenge what he says and would play more what they see in front of him. Whereas with Eddie Jones coming in with less than a year to to implement things, he's probably just gone, look, I want talented guys who can do things, but they need to just do what I'm telling them because we don't have any time to build for similar reasons but to build anything substantial um so i don't know if it's necessarily you can blame eddie jones on both fronts but the fact that both countries have had their world cup preparations majorly disrupted can't um can't be ignored yeah they, he's got fly half issues hasn't he um yeah he, he's, he's only essentially taken one fly half 
to the World Cup and he hooked him after uh, 50 minutes, I think it was. And the English newspapers have, with some delight, schadenfreude, shall we say, gone through the number of English players that he hooked and just disappeared, never to return. And they're wondering about this, you know, ahead of next weekend's game for Australia, will this fly half uh, uh, ever play for Eddie Jones again? He's got a problem if he doesn't play him again, hasn't he? Well, he's backed him. He's his man. He said, "He said I'm taking you to the World Cup, and and you're my guy." Uh, Gordon is his name, uh, Carter Gordon. So yeah, it's amazing. I, mean, yeah, I don't think you can you can say to somebody, "I'm going to drop the two more experienced options behind you in, in Bernard Foley and Quay Cooper, who we've already mentioned." And you're my guy, and then see you later after one tournament. It would be a colossal uh, acknowledgement of an error of judgment if after this competition he goes, "Nah, this guy's not got it." We tear from it, and like you said, but Eddie Jones has done that in the past. But I just, I struggle to see him doing that after putting so much faith in him. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's one of those experiences that, if in five years' time he said a brilliant international career, you look back on as a turning point, and it's the type of thing he'll talk about a lot in interviews. I suspect if he does have the career that Eddie Jones thinks he ha- will have. But you're right. Next week against Wales, he's got a massive decision to make because he did. You know, Ben Donaldson, the fullback, did play a little bit of at half once once Gordon got hooked after. 50 minutes or whatever it was um but you've got a decision to make do you do within in a crunch game that you need to win um to 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 keep your hopes alive and of do course you... the, that wales game is uh, a critical game for the group because yeah. it, it could end up um i've been looking at the rules this morning about qualification for the next round um should uh australia beat wales we could be heading into a situation where we go to try scored points difference um, and eventually, if, if all of these things end up at the same uh, point, if you like, the same level, teams are equal on all the criteria that they could be judged. And it'll come down to their standings in Rugby World Cup rankings as to who goes into the next round. It's that tight now, isn't it? Well, I think the points difference, are, are it's very unlikely the points differences won't decide it. Indeed. First, indeed. Because, I was just amused to see that, yeah, it that, is, that it last is. criteria. It is fascinating. But if you look at I mean, nobody's going to end up with the same points difference. That's nigh yeah. on impossible, which makes Wales's game against Portugal on the weekend even more interesting because they only beat them by 20 points. Mm. It was 28 to 8, I think. Whereas you look at Fiji and Australia and you probably back them to score more points against the Portugal side. So Wales could, you know, lose only one game throughout. But like you said, if three teams lose one game, then everyone's in the same position. But Wales could be in trouble just by virtue of the point that they didn't take advantage of, of those games against the Minnows, the, the Georgia and, and Portugal. So all of a sudden, those games are absolutely massive. Um, and so from, from an Australian or Fijian point of view, you and now a Welsh point of view when they play Georgia, you can't rest your guys and play second string against these guys, as some teams have done, as France did against their Minnows. You can't because you need to put 50 points on them to to be secure with your with your points difference so it's it, it's fascinating and this is that that group is is really shaping up um to be very intriguing as we all thought it would but uh fiji kind of let everyone down. fiji let the let the side down a little bit by, by losing to wales in, in round one but it, it's are that arguably made it more uh more interesting it's a very interesting group um with with i would guess more twists and turns to come um okay i'm gonna I've got uh, no more questions for you. If you want to uh, draw my attention to anything that's really fascinating, you do please go ahead. But my final question is your prediction, your um, very unfair question, prediction for Ireland, South Africa. Yeah, Ireland, Ireland should win that game if, if they continue along the trajectory that, that, that they are. I think, I don't think they'll allow South Africa to bully them in the way that South Africa bullied Scotland. Um, and I think even if they do, I think their attack is good enough to respond and stay in touch. And from there, it's 
you know, it's it's anyone's game, and and I think you back the side that's that's playing very very well. And South Africa are playing very well, but Ireland have been playing incredibly well for twelve months now. Um, whereas South Africa have kind of built into this over the last couple of weeks, and it was only whenever they put that statement win against New Zealand in the warm ups a couple of weeks ago that people have kind of stood up and took notice. So I think, yeah, Ireland have everyone fit as far as we know, um, which is which was always going to be crucial for this game. Um, Dan Sheehan looks like he's coming back, which is massive as well especially considering how well Kelleher played on the weekend. So they've got a lot of power and dynamism coming back into that front row. And I think, uh, yeah, I think they should uh, they should hold on. It'll be, it'll be narrow. It'll be less than five points, but I think um, Ireland gonna, should. Yeah, I think I, all I would say, the, the only uh, prediction I'll make is that it'll be a very narrow point spread. Yeah, I think so. I think at this stage of the tournament, the better attacking side should prevail. When you're talking about knockout games and semi-finals finals you would always tend to lean on the side with the bigger pack and a guy who can slot his goals um now south africa don't have a guy who can kick his goals at the minute uh, manny libok missed a couple against scotland and they put this from half half the clerk on kicking duties and he missed a few as well now south africa have actually called up andre pollard their their kicking machine who was injured because they lost a hooker when they called up the out half which is bizarre they only have two hookers in the squad now. Um, so that could be interesting. But uh, Razi Erasmus said yesterday that Pollard won't be playing against Ireland. So if you if you can believe that, if you don't want to take that with a pinch of salt, that would be significant, I think, if, if Pollard is playing. Because Ireland, they're disciplined side. They won't give away that many opp- the opportunities that Scotland did. But um, that could be a massive determining factor. If Ireland's attack is firing and South Africa getting lots of penalties and missing them because Pollard's not playing. Um, that is an interesting uh, storyline to watch. Okay. Great. Thanks, Nathan. Let's call it there and we'll have another discussion around about this time next week after we've got some of these matches um, in the bin, as, as it were. Um, lots of things still to talk about. One of the things I will want to talk to you about is, is refereeing the new bunker system, but let's leave that till next week. And just a big thank you for joining me again today, Nathan Johns of the Irish Times. Thanks very much. Thank you. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.